0: Hey, everybody, just wanted to tell you about the SeatGeek app. It's the best way for fans to save money on sports and concert tickets, and it's a 100% free service. SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. When you're ready to buy your tickets, you can just snag a great deal right from your phone with just two taps on your app. There's really no better way to find tickets this summer. SeatGeek also has this technology called deal Score. It calculates every ticket in the building is worth, and whether the price you pay for that ticket is good deal or bad deal. Good deals are represented by big green dots on the map and bad deals are shown as small red dots so it's easy to see at a glance which tickets will save you the most money. No other ticketing app has features like this. To redeem your promo code and save $20 on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code HOLLYWOOD in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code HOLLYWOOD today. The SeatGeek app is your ticket to summer sports and concert tickets.
1: And now, Hollywood Prospectus.
0: Thank you ladies and gentlemen, hold your applause Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Perspectives Podcast My name is Chris Ryan, I am a writer for Grantland.com And on the other line, will you accept these charges? It's Andy
1: Greenwald! Oh that's heartfelt and it's beautiful and it's accurate This is a person-to-person podcast, just like the old days
0: I know, we had no, no video today We are talking about the Mad Men series finale And the latest episode of Game of Thrones. And if we're lucky, we'll get to a little bit of Jay-Z B-Sides concert for for that little startup he's got. But um, a little melancholy today.
1: By the way, fingers crossed for that guy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Here's hoping he can really put the pieces together and make it work.
0: Um, Andy, man, uh, here we are at the end of the road. Uh, We have... This is tough. We've gotten to the end of the run of Mad Men. Um, I kind of wanted to try, we'll talk a little bit about, I wanted to sort of start micro- if that was po- mm-hmm. if possible, we could talk a little mm. bit about some of the mechanics of the episode, mm-hmm. and then we could talk generally about the the series itself. But there were a few things that really obviously jumped out at me. Um, okay. I want to ask you: Do you want to start with the the Coke ad, or do you want to kind of let that simmer for a few more minutes, like a, a, a like a like a deglaze uh, it? You know, or is that what you, you do with Coca Cola? You're look, like. To-
1: T- to clarify, Chris, yeah, do you mean the coke ad at the end of the episode, or the one where Joan was snorting Bolivian marching powder off of Bruce Greenwood's <laughs> pinky nail? Um, I I I've, I've meant the end of the episode, but we can. Oh, we can. that found, was a very I economical
0: depiction of cocaine use. And
1: yeah, I thought they were very very modest. But again, it was 1970. You know? Yeah. So I think I think things really uh, boy I really escalated later, like a like a anchorman street fight. <laughs> Um,
0: I can't wait to see the uh, the sequel with Bruce Greenwood where he's just like <laughs> running, running rails in Key West somewhere. He's basically turns into Ben Mendelsohn in Bloodlines. What, what
1: if what if what if Joan comes out of her out of her apartment slash the Holloway Harris <laughs> offices and she's like. Richard, did you dig all these trenches?
0: Well, I was kind of wondering, like,
1: is there actually a business? Or has Joan
0: just been on coke this entire time? And they no, she's just, like, calling random people, like, I have all that money, and I'm ready to make your commercial!
1: What they didn't show was in the kitchen, all of the people who got fired from Sterling Cooper, naked, with, ga- with masks over their faces like an American gangster, just cooking up that raw... <laughs> Just keep the product moving. Oh, man. See, we can't let go. We want a spinoff or something. We want it so badly.
0: You know, Andy, before we get to the advertisement, I wanted to talk a little bit about the title of the episode and the main narrative sort of device that was used to deliver all of the final chapters for these characters. And that was... The phone. It was sort of like not really talked about yes. a lot because I think everybody was sort of blown away by the ending slash disappointed with the ending, depending on who you yeah. are. And <laughs> but But this was an episode that was primarily conducted over phone calls. And it was yes. called person to person. You had the Don Sally phone call, the Don Betty phone call, the Don Peggy phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, Peggy and Joan trying to book their lunch. Joan calling businesses to to start her own company. Peggy and Stan basically have the most important moment of their romantic lives over the phone. Yep. Um, so I think a cynical side of me would be almost asking, was there an issue with like scheduling people? Is this like one last AMC <laughs> screw up before we go? Or... What was this symbolic of the divide that had emerged in these characters' lives? That these people were not spending time with each other in a conference room, in an office. This is how they communicated now. This was maybe a a sign of, you know, the changing times of people conducting more business over the phone. What did you think of the way that the story was told?
1: I think it's a great question. I think one just bigger point is that. Old phones are clunky and they were inefficient, but they are cool as hell yeah. on the screen. Yeah. The way they sound, the way you can grip them, like it made for really engaging television. Yeah, they all had to like was... move
0: them from shoulder to shoulder. I thought that, you know, the Don Betty scene was particularly effective.
1: No one has ever held a, a handset like like John Hamm. I mean, if, if, if the phone industry <laughs> or a phone has some sort that of battery. awards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. I mean, I think that it was, you could look at it in a couple ways. You could look at it in a cynical way as that this was what happens when you blow up your show you know, well before the end. And yet you still feel the need to establish some connection between people who might otherwise no longer have a connection. Um, I think you could look at it as, um, I mean, in the case of, of, of Stan and Peggy, which is something we're going to return to, I hope, um, some of their best moments were on the phone. And so yeah, that was absolutely. a callback, a callback to them. Um, i, I don 't know i mean i, I guess i 'm sort of on i 'm sort of attached to the idea that these people were like the big bang happened in their lives and they were together for a, a short amount of time, but then circumstance and nature and their own desires and screw ups kept pushing them in opposite directions and so the phone was sort of the last link between them and it also sort of touched at the one of the central ideas of mad men and and, and really all great art or drama, which is you know can we can we actually ever connect? Can right. we ever get access to a person 's ear to their heart, to their soul, um, whether we're in person or whether we're using technology or, or a device. And so I think it was sort of poetic. I, I appreciated that it was linked throughout the episode, but I, I think that because I thought the episode as a whole was kind of a, a failure as an episode, not necessarily even as a sure. series finale... I I looked at it as another clunky part of it.
0: I was kind of hoping, you know, throughout the episode, because I'm sort of an asshole, I was kind of hoping, (laughs) I was thinking of, like, other moments that could have basically been the, like, I'd like to buy the World of Coke uh, Mm -hmm. ad. And it would have been pretty funny as if, uh, in the middle of Don's breakdown with Peggy on the phone, he was like, I just want to reach out and touch someone!
1: (laughs) Does anybody have a pen? Can I write that down? (laughs) Like, that's gold, (laughs) isn't it? Isn't that gold, Brett Gelman? Yeah. Isn't that but. gold, Supergirl? Weird <laughs> casting. Um, so,
0: yeah, I, I guess that that's that's an interesting. I, I see what you're saying. I kind of felt like um, this uh, this episode was about sort of if if this if, if this show was largely about how these people created a surrogate family for for one another, you know, yeah. uh, throughout their professional careers to make up for the fact that their home lives were largely in disarray or full of trouble and sadness and and whether or not you know their workplace was full of trouble and sadness as well but they they found some sort of solace there this was a he he tied the knots on a lot of these things and i thought that that was sweet um i think that i have started to just i've just come to the conclusion and come i'm Mm -hmm. at peace with the idea that finales are just what exactly what they are they are not part of the story they are like the pilot they are the bookend separate things for the most part, you, you know, a finale is is thought of a long time ago or is has an undue amount of pressure on it, much mm-hmm. like a p- pilot. Um, it is not about servicing the story, but is more about servicing the legacy of the effort people put into making that television show and also the effort people put into watching it. And I thought that despite his interview with David Skopf in The Times last week, which seemed to suggest... I you know it could have just been Don doing donuts in the salt and sea for an hour, and that would have been Matthew <laughs> Weiner just being like, "Gotcha." It was a very conventional sweet. I mean, it had more in common with Friday Night Lights to me than The Sopranos.
1: I really appreciate the sentiment that you just expressed. I think it was really important. It's a a really important corrective to overreaction in any direction after something like last night. And I wish that uh, you had showed up in my apartment and stood over me on my couch like Don did to Peggy in season two. Yeah. Like when she's in the hospital, you should have just been like, you will move past this. This will – you will get over it. Your disappointment will fade. Uh, I think that's really important. I think that TV – we're, you know, we're headed towards an era where, where TV is much more about the beginning and ending, both because the beginning needs to hook people much more than it ever did due to competition, and the ending matters more because we're going into an era of limited series and event series where resolution is baked into the whole conception of the project. Um, Mad Men uh, is, you know, and we talked about this a little bit in our, our finale preview pod on Friday, is a throwback in a lot of ways, and it is a tribute to the beauty and possibility and messiness of an unlimited series. Yeah. So the show really was what happened between episodes two and i don't know what was it 91 i don't know the number sure. but but i i think that's a very very important way of looking at it um, that said okay let me i have, I have two tiers of reaction and the well, first tier you, of reaction well, i would
0: just okay. say that, that for in terms of like so for instance about the and i, I want to get to your the, i want to just end my bit here by giving it <laughs> kind of like one more pat on the back before you kind of punch it in the back uh, it's right. just that, like, you know, the Peg and, Peggy and Stan stuff, for instance, is something that I think people were like, oh, that's just fan service. That's that's just yes. satisfying some sort of yearning we all have for people to be happy. But I think that this, since this episode was so much about the divisions and the line between your personal and your professional self, and it, it was something that Peggy was always loath to do. I think she always wanted to just be seen as this professional person and not ever reveal things about herself not ever make herself vulnerable and when Mm -hmm. she did make herself vulnerable it was sort of in this outbursty way i thought that she had the most sort of heroic conclusion because all these people were sort of forced to decide between their personal and professional lives like joan who sort of was forced to choose between a life of indulgence and and cocaine and starting her own (laughs) company or roger who decides to live out the last chapter of his life in a you know a cafe or whatever but peggy was given this great opportunity to have this union of her personal and professional life and to find a kind of happiness.
1: And let's also not ignore the the great scene where she is just a tough-ass, you know, in the, in, in, at work, in that meeting, yeah. where she gets what she wants. And, and, and I, you know, I, in line with your generosity here, I think that one of the best things about the finale was that it did not indulge something that it appeared to be about to do, which was, the, the, the more than the Peggy and Stan fan service, the idea of a Joan peggy let's get them gals um counter narrative for for business in the 70s you know where they would form a partnership and work and create this company together that was the time i was most afraid for the show because as cool as it seemed that's not what peggy is good at and that was purely that purely would have been to service yeah i mean that just
0: for anybody who's like oh i wish they would have done it that would have pretty much meant peggy was writing scripts for like industrial instructional films and like yes you know like the things that we used to see in 1980s school libraries about like making sure we buckle up
1: and whether she knew it early on or not she would also have involved herself into an international drug smuggling conspiracy (laughs) based out of a based out of a a Gramercy Park adjacent kitchen Griselda. um (laughs) <laughs> the thing yeah so i mean i i liked that i here the, the Peggy. here's the peggy and stan thing for me that, that i that was frustrating and really indicative of of the episode as a whole because you know when I, I i i popped off on twitter about the episode and i think people with good reason thought i was angry about the very end when in fact i was really frustrated about the the clumsiness of the episode itself um much more than the end and and particularly something like the peggy and stan scene which is you could break it down into component parts uh, Elizabeth Moss was incredible in that scene. She was amazing. That is small. That is just acting on film that you rarely see. Yeah, she, uh, it, it, it was enough to basically on first pass sell me on it because I just loved seeing her her precision at how she lost control. You know what I mean? It was a controlled detonation in a way that that you just rarely see. Uh, I also liked how it was written because matt weiner is a, a bright and airy comic writer when he wants to be you know it was very sweet yeah and he you came could into camera
0: crow's corner there
1: he did and you could tell he'd worked on it for a while yeah. on that scene and, and and the care that went into it here's why i felt it was ultimately a betrayal of what i really liked about the show and when i use big words like that i still love the show this is not like it does it has it, this has done nothing to, to dim my ardor for it i just mean that what i had always admired so much about Mad Men was that we knew peggy and Stan loved each other we absolutely knew it. It was there in the arc of their relationship, in the s- specifics of their relationship, in their honesty only with each other, and in those long phone calls where they didn't talk at all. And so to have it spill over and, and just into this, into sort of you know Nora Ephronica, <laughs> um, felt kind of I, I don't want to say cheap, but it was too much. You right. know, it was a it, w- it was a, a Long Island iced tea instead of a well mixed Manhattan, and it and it and and I. I know it was to make people happy, and, if, and that's never a bad goal in, in just about anything, but I, I felt it was unnecessary. So and,
0: if that was the Long Island iced, iced tea to your well-mixed Manhattan, um, yeah. what's the end then? Is that just... <laughs> okay. <laughs> what end coke is the ending?
1: <laughs> well, here... Okay, so here's the... Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, another thing that I I, I... I thought that there was a lot of just... Sh- a, a lot of resolution in the form of shrugs, you know, with, with like, well, okay, we'll give Roger one, we'll give Joan some, we'll give Pete that scene. And it was interesting because I feel like all these characters had perfectly appropriate farewells already. Yeah. So some have said that this is a little bit like the last season of Breaking Bad, where if you liked the darkness, you could pretend the show ended at Granite State or Ozymandias. Yeah. Um, but if you wanted, you know, tidiness, you could watch Felina. That's probably true a little bit. Um, but okay, let I'll, I'll circle back to this point. So the end. Um, I was a little flabbergasted by the end and it, it, the episode as a whole. Maybe the last few this last half season as a whole kind of highlighted ultimately the, the limits of having an empty vessel as your main character Mm -hmm. in that he only is particularly, he reacts, you know, and he assumes roles in relation to who he's with. And the further you push him from everyone and the more you isolate him, uh, kind of, is it fair to say the less interesting he is? Sure. I, 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 I didn't want, I didn't mind when we saw a lot of old characters like the, the Drapers or, okay, maybe I minded Glenn, but the sort of the, the, the callback tour we had for a bunch of the episodes this season. But then when we were suddenly spending all this time with, with Brett Gelman and Helen Slater and Stephanie, who I appreciate she was sort of set up to be his last chance to try to rescue a woman who didn't want to be rescued. And she cut him to the quick when and he gave her the, the Peggy Olsen speech about moving on. And she was like, I don't think it works like that.
0: In a, in a season that was sort of haunted by a lot of ghosts, she was tellingly like young Betty you know blonde you
1: know she was another another blonde that maybe could be saved yeah,
0: yeah whereas whereas uh diane was more like a rachel Mencken type you know
1: yes so there, there were all these echoes and ghosts um the fact that at the end oh by the way the other thing about the peggy and stan scene that i i almost forgot the whole scene was was done in the shadow of that phone call to Don, where she's like oh that was where he's gonna kill himself wait we're in love yeah, I thought she was, was calling and it was it, simply
0: going to be like, Stan, you got dudes in LA, get them in a car, you know, or Seriously? like, or she was going to call, I thought that that was like part of a plot point, not a, these are all these discrete and that's why I sort of, that's why I made the joke about, were these people not, were these people all on other movies when this last episode was shot, and that's why it's all phone scenes, because I was sort of wondering whether they were limited by like, well, we can only get Joan for 10 days. You know, and and the only person who's available during those 10 days is Peggy. You know, like I I, that's just that's really idle speculation. But it did strike me as as though each scene was like its own thing. They didn't bleed into each other.
1: It, it it wasn't that. I mean they they all were under contract through the end of filming, so I don't think anybody was unavailable. Um you know, you know the dude who played like Paul Kinsey and the dude who played Sal were like, We're available yeah, Seriously. <laughs> we're by our phones, just in case. Did you film it yet? <laughs> um they were filming each other on Skype.
0: They were the totally, lost Sal and Kinsey scene. I'm just surprised Kinsey
1: wasn't at that retreat that they went to. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um So we reached so we reached the end and it was again so setting up stephanie as this person made made sense kind of narratively in terms of the type of show we've been watching the, to to have the final speech the sort of don draperish moment of transcendence be handed over to a guy named leonard okay i see what that was and these are the sort of decisions that like when you get when someone is given the the great privilege of ending the show on their terms this is what you accept yeah leonard is the onion ha- rings basically right i guess so and and that's fine even though i found that a little frustrating and those that was one of the many moments where i felt like and sort of an out-of-body experience where i was like what show am i watching right now i don't recognize this as the show i have been watching all of this time sure and then to lead to the moment of enlightenment and then the moment that everyone was talking about where it it cuts out and we go to the the co-commercial now a couple things i found it very jarring and you I thought you nailed it in an email you sent me last night. So why don't you, you say your take on that? Because I, really, I thought that was really good.
0: Um, I actually can barely remember what I said
1: to you but last wait, night. You, you, you said that it felt, I think, and I'm paraphrasing you here, but it was kind of overly clever. Oh, yeah. Like well, had- I was just
0: like, he had the layup. If if you end with Don Don smiling, it is the... I think everybody gets it. I think everybody is like, I see what happened. This guy was trying to break the land speed record driving west. He's outrunning and then running back to and outrunning his past. He breaks free of that, but everybody who goes west. Eventually, hits the ocean, which is where he winds yes. up, staring mm-hmm. out into the sun. He's bought mm-hmm. in. He's decided that you can be new again in this world. You, you can.
1: He, he's bought in or cashed out. Yeah, and you, you
0: know he he actually believes in something, even if that's just he's allowed to be happy, whatever it is. And and then that's it. You end it with the layup. You don't have to stop in your mid drive and do a three sixty sky hook you know and and then run off the court like holding up your jersey like baron davis style so i think you could do three different readings of the end you could say don did not create the Coke ad, and that that was a omniscient narrator you know matthew weiner inserting himself into the show to say look what came of this kind of enlightenment later on um but the fact that i think we know that the that That I'd like to buy the world of Coke comes from a can in real life and that it was created by a guy named, like what was it, Bob Backer or Bob Bracker, which is basically Don Draper. It was an
1: an alliterative name. Yeah,
0: and that I I think you have to assume that Don eventually goes to create the Coke ad. And and I I think some people have said that that was an incredibly cynical act, that basically Don had had this moment of self-discovery gone back to New York and decided to sell the world a fattening soft drink. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think in the context of 1970, Coca-Cola is not looked at as this death dealer. It's it's basically the go-to beverage of, a, of, of the Western world, isn't it? Yes. Um, so I, I choose not to look at it that cynically. I do wonder whether or not, and, and I do think – and I do wonder whether or not we're supposed to think of it more in terms of this is a cycle for Don, as Peggy says, that he keeps going out and f- mm-hmm, trying to find mm-hmm. himself. He breaks down, rebuilds, comes back even stronger, breaks down, rebuilds, comes back even stronger. Um, the, the, the Pollyanna-ish way of looking at it, I guess, would be that Don does come to some sort of great self-discovery, uh, is, is now this Dick-Don-New Man hybrid – with a smile on his face, and he's going to show up at McCann next week wearing, um, you know, a Baja and some khakis, <laughs> mm-hmm. and says, I've got an idea for Coca-Cola, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I personally would rather have just been thinking about Don Draper and that character than Coca-Cola as well. But I guess in the end, this is a show about an advertising agent,
1: agency, yes. you know? I think you've summed all the options up really well. I think that... Um I, I my my gut feeling was that it was just way too clever by half mm-hmm. that it felt like the kind of ending that that caused Matt Weiner to high five himself while thinking, you know, sitting in his office one day and then wrote the season pointed towards it as opposed to ending up at it instead of ending up. I there. think it
0: was just jarring to not end with one of your the characters of your television show in the yeah, world of your television show.
1: Exactly. I think it was it was a little newsroom ish to mm-hmm. suddenly suddenly just sort of jerry-rig your fictional show onto reality in a way that especially considering that the relationship to reality had been so expert yeah you know the way that it sort of history passed in and out of the show like a current but it wasn't the defining feature of it And, and you know i would i would relate that that uh critique to the cocaine scene too in a serious way because that felt so out of left field and just kind of a nod to be like like Hey, the '70s are coming, man. Something's coming. Yeah, you know, it, it felt very, very unlike the way history had played into the show. In the A 60s. couple
0: of people have mentioned very, this. I think Molly here. might have mentioned this in her column today, in her recap. But I definitely expected Richard to drop dead when he first had that bump. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: I was like, this guy is out. Peace,
1: <laughs> peace to Richard. Let's let's hope let's hope he might, doesn't mind being buried in the keys, <laughs> which does lead to Bloodline. Great yeah, right, point. exactly. Um, so I, I found it very jarring, I think, at the end, um, and I found none of those options particularly appealing. I think that Matt Seitz in New York Magazine and Vulture wrote a really, really nice and insightful recap of the finale that that sort of takes door number three, as you painted it, as basically an, a non-cynical version of Don coming up with that ad on, the, on his way back east. Yeah. Um, I, I really like the way he wrote about it. and He brought in a lot of his directorial, like his his expertise, is is talking about how things are shot, isn't from a director's perspective. And I I think that he brings a lot to that, especially consider Winer considering Weiner wrote and directed the episode, so there everything there's intentionality in every frame of that of that. Episode. It
0: would have been so interesting. I don't know how I would have felt if a show that I associate with this sort of urbane, riddled with uh, the vocabulary and iconography of of, of psychotherapy and very east coast metropolitan show had ended with a silent moment on the west coast yeah it would have been an arc that's for sure but it would have been so it would almost be as just as jarring i i i i I think that it would have been a little braver well i I don't know if i want to associate courage with with the ending of a television show but well
1: here i'm I'm still trying to figure this out in my head and I'm, i'm writing something for tomorrow about it but let me try to sketch out what, the way, what I, where I sort of landed on Go for it. it. Which, is, which is to say that um, I think that one of the things that Weiner has done with the show that has enthralled us and frustrated us at times is he's really tried to stay true to the messiness of life and human experience. So every time Don Draper backslid and sort of did the same things all over again, it, was, it could be very frustrating for a TV viewer, but it rang true in terms of how we live our lives and the mistakes we make over and over again. Um, similarly, I think that there's a way to look at the ending of the show as a little bit of every version that you mentioned. Um, there is certainly cynicism to it, but there's also the potential for hope because the thing is, whenever we make, you know, we don't have, we rarely have trans transcendent moments. We have a, you know, an accumulation of small moments and small realizations. And even if he really did reach some happiness, however brief on that cliff in Big Sur, he still has many more years of his life to live and potentially, you know, money to make and jobs to do. I have a question. So uh, yeah. <laughs> so so there's, there's certainly a version of it where, you know, what what do any of us do with our um, enlightenment? We, we probably try to put it to work for us. And that's not always the best. But, you know, here I am trying to find, I'm trying to spend today writing moments of, I'm trying to write sentences of beauty in service of a recap of a television show right. that was an advertisement. So, so I, I, I certainly am, painted with the same brush but here's the here's the other thought that i'm that i was struck by this is not i was not struck by this last night i was struck by frustration but this is as i've thought about it more i think that let's think about how we talked about this half season, you know, and why we were and what we talked about Friday and last Monday and the week before and why we were both, I think really engaged by it and moved by it. And it was because the show was really in its final episodes was really willing to wrestle with ambiguity and basically shrug its shoulders at the possibility of resolution and finality, which sort of runs contra to everything we've come to expect about TV and certainly last seasons of TV. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt like everything the characters did and certainly everything Weiner did was a little bit of a, well, what if there is no way to write this off? What if everything just kind of ends? Well, what if it ends like this? Well, what, if it, what if it doesn't end? What if it just keeps going? And then finally, like you said about Don, he ran out of real estate. He ran out of room. And he kind of shrugged. Yeah. You know, and, and, and everyone, he kind of gave everyone a little bit of a shrug. Everyone had a goodbye already. They all got a second one, a little bit of a neater one, a little bit like an obituary or being invited to your own wake. And there was something else that ran through this episode, which was a kind of, I don't know if it's cynicism because that reminds me more of the way David Chase felt about TV, but it's a, it's a weariness in some way about TV and what TV does, which is to say that it, it, it kind of flattens and deadens everything, and it makes it feel trite. Well, so we talked about so how no- he,
0: he had said that you know this we, we've I think the most useful way to look at this season is to think of it as this epilogue that Weiner described it as, that he he had said that the show in his head ended with Don showing Sally where he grew up. yeah, and that this is this riff afterwards. I mean, this is a essentially a workplace show without a workplace anymore. I mean the, the, the yeah. umbilical cord is cut. These people are adrift, you know and and the thing that gave this show its heartbeat had ceased to be so there 's going to be this sort of weird meandering quality to it, and that 's what I think you and I, like you said, this ambiguity that 's what we 're reacting to, aside from the fact that it 's just easily like the most smartly written and well drawn
1: show i, I mean but, but there's something to there 's a line to be drawn here, and i 'm not sure if I 'm able to do it i 'm not sure if i 'll be able to do it by tomorrow, but I think there's a line to be drawn between um, this idea of l- hoping for some sort of artistic truth or perfection in a TV show and hoping to be and hoping to buy and hoping to buy happy buy everyone happiness through a soda you know what i mean like if there was if don was able to have a moment of personal um, transcendence or happiness how would you reflect that in a visual medium like television television flattens you know it it makes every experience seem sort of universal it it you can't get into anyone's head it's not a book um it's not telepathy right. you know so so you can you can choose to say like what a wonderful idea to buy everyone happiness and you know I think it's very important in retrospect that Don you know gives a, a dollar bill to the hippie when they get to the the retreat and he's like well she takes money that's a good sign sure there's this there's a profound this was coming I mean like that, he that,
0: that, the, the guy says to him don't you want to fix the coke machine I mean like they, right. they, they've been dangling coke in the, front of him all season
1: there's an unshakable belief that you could buy everyone something through happiness, which also contains an even bigger lie that someone is selling happiness. Yes, And, uh, you know, so I, I, I think that I'm trying to see it in the bigger picture of what Weiner was trying to do artistically, which again has removed me from the creative fulfillment or whatever of this episode as an episode of television. I, I did not like it. It was, but,
0: it's just so different from some of the other shows that we've seen. It has much more in, There was not a relentless drive towards the end as you could feel in Breaking Bad and there wasn't an Uh, unsustainable – I I think that there was something about this show and we've talked about this before about how it could have just gone on in perpetuity even if it wasn't about the the agency specifically where these people worked – and it was almost like you know the way ER can go on forever because it's just about the doctors who work in the ER. Well, this was the reverse of that. It was the inverse. This could have gone on to get forever, but it could have just been about these people instead but, but of their this workplace. But,
1: but this is exactly right. I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I'm what I'm what I'm wrestling with. When we first suggested a few weeks ago the idea of wanting Mad Men to go on forever, we were joking about it and basically suggesting yeah, that our idea so was in some way right. Yes, but it was also we were also joking because in some way that was the most cynical thing of all to just turn it into like, you know, to turn, turn it into to CSI Madison Avenue, just sure. make it a franchise and on and on and on. The thing is I think we were actually touching something deeper about the show, which is Breaking Bad was a show designed to to hit an endpoint. The Mad Men's mission wasn't to tell the story of the '60s. It was basically to tell us a story the way life is told, which is it just kind of goes on and on, and you keep making mistakes, and sometimes you get better, and sometimes you get worse. Yeah. So they could have done season eight, season nine, season ten, and there never would have been a satisfying conclusion because the whole show's purpose was to defeat the idea of a. Satisfying yeah. The central
0: conclusion. tension was obviously his the the ebbing and flowing of his of his breakdowns. You know what I mean? That was the, whether it was his split identity or his inability, his alcoholism or his romantic unhappiness or, or whatever. And and then in the the last season, it was more about a sort of professional wanderlust with him asking people what they want. And nobody ever seeming to give him a satisfactory answer, but that I I suppose you could only have a guy have so many breakdowns, but there was no particular reason for this story to conclude other than the fact that it was the end of a decade and that they had all stopped working together
1: yes yes that's right and so I, I i guess i didn't like i don't know i'm still thinking about it i i i get i appreciate the formal i don't even want to call it brilliance i don't think it was cleverness of bringing that ad in at the end because it suggests forward momentum without ever showing it it suggests that he um, went
0: back to work and that he had a long and And profitable career.
1: Yes, but by not showing him actually do it, it also just it 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 also suggests the idea that this is the way of all flesh. (laughs) Like this is the way everything goes. Yes, like we can't we we don't learn all the way. We keep trying to take a moment of you know indescribable ineffable beauty and truth, and then you know get it on film and well. Do you think
0: that what he was actually saying there, or what the sort of central message to that whole ending is, is that his identity was as the madman as was it was as the the that don draper creative director ultimately was the identity that he chose i think that i think that it, no i think that instead he smiles per- and you think he's smiling because he's found peace and really what he has is an idea for a commercial but that's when he was happiest
1: that's you know, what so i mean maybe he was happy that's yeah I, I i think in fact what i would say is that it sort of rejects the idea that it was ever a binary that there was one yeah. guy and there was another guy there was only ever this person and you know, and, and I, I've already caught myself like in the in the, the draft that I'm writing now. I, I think I've continued to refer to Don the way I have throughout the times I've written about the show, which is you know very un, in various times as a cipher or as an empty vessel. Um, James Wolcott, who's the you know the very smart critic who's at Vanity Fair now, tweeted something today about how that's exactly wrong. That the thing about Don that was so compelling and also so difficult to summarize was that he contained too many things. He could be anything at any moment, and his emotions were so raw that he had built this. You know, he'd built a, a series of 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 armor of armors basically to protect himself from them. Yeah, I think I think that's probably true. I think that he was never able to make peace with all the things within him because this is a guy who absolutely felt the wound of of on a very deep emotional and real level of, of his ex-wife's cancer, of his daughter's loneliness, of his, I guess, of his son's total abandonment. But then his way of dealing with it was to run further in the opposite direction. That yeah. That's not easily summarized. And that's one thing that I admire about the show and will forever.
0: Um, I feel like we said a lot of what we had to say about Mad Men's legacy as a series last week on the Mad Men finale preview pod, which people yeah. can still download. I guess it's uh, even though we didn't, we didn't, I know we, we sort of, slyly predicted that this was going to be the ending i don't know if i, I didn't actually believe that <laughs> meaning like i yeah. did not think it was going to be the last scene uh do you have any final thoughts before we move on to game of thrones
1: um i mean i'm really i'm really gonna miss it in a way that oh, yeah. um that i know we said on friday and i i think about it again that i wish there were more shows like it and, and i like it like it in the sense that we're that were questing like this, you know. That were ambitious like this. That were trying to. I mean, every show on TV, certainly every drama, is uh, is basically about a group of people that we come to know as they are beset by obstacles. And very often, those obstacles are extremely literal. Like in, you know, in in, in Walking Dead, it's zombies, and True Detective, it's mustaches. But in terms of Mad Men, it was nothing but just life. It was just people beset by life, and that is so hard to do. The degree of difficulty is off the charts. And that, there's a reason why no one else has really tried. Yeah. So it's weird that the show ended with all this conversation and all this celebration, but there's really nothing like it left. And, and, I, and I guess my only other thought is I am I, I, grateful that, that we had the show to discuss that I could get so heated about the last episode of and really dislike the last episode of, but still be so thrilled to talk about it for this long. You know, that, that, that's... when I, I, I was too glib when I said I thought it was awful. I thought it was a... I thought it was an overtly clumsy and probably bad episode of Mad Men, but that's a different that's a different conversation than most of what ends up being on TV. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, uh, let's. So I, I I flipped last night. Usually, I watch Game of Thrones and Mad Men, as as is the way that time dictates. Uh, but I <laughs> yes. just watched you, Mad Men. We're all
1: we're all slaves to that. Uh, the real the real master. I watched
0: Mad Men first last night, and. Um, just what a great way to end the night with that that last sands scene
1: (laughs) oh just just really send you off to dreamland happy right happy and fulfilled um what 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 would you like to buy the world after that episode uh a cock merchant i don't know a dwarf dick (laughs) yeah well that's that's what they sell mostly i mean i actually i was curious what the rest of their wares are you know yeah seriously
0: like it was such a specific they were like oh yeah the cock merchant of course yeah that guy One thing,
1: you know, I feel like... I think he has a pop-up in West Hollywood. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like, I I think it's more of a... I consider it more of, like, a a modern trend that we have just specialty stores where they do one thing and do it really well. So I wonder if, you know, having a business is really tough in Westeros, so I wonder if it's, like, Cox Shop and Bubble Tea. Do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) like, Like... like that's probably what it would be. I bet there's one on St. Mark's right now. Yeah. Like, what else would I mean, they maybe sell? I maybe you they could would combine
0: it into a smoke shop where it would be like a a bong in the shape of a dwarf cock.
1: Right. Oh, it's like, oh right. So it's like a it's like a, a dwarf dong themed general store yeah, bodega exactly. basically, where there's exactly. like all the stuff you need for your bachelorette parties, um, you know, like little gummy candies or whatever. Um.
0: Well, so let okay. me ask you. I you, your your review today was probably your uh most critical of the season I would say and I don't know how much of that was also a residual kind of like dealing with the Mad Men fallout uh, or just like the end of the show but I agreed with it was only until the very last scene that I sort of looked back at the rest of the episode and was just like ugh Um, I did I did really really enjoy uh, Cersei ordering the code red I love the courtroom stuff as I usually do with this show and I I thought (laughs) The, uh, the return of, of Marjorie's grandmother was great. Um,
1: it's amazing the way the show allows people to have the different types of shows that they are fans of. Like, yes, you are a big yeah. fan of Game of Thrones legal dramas yes. and touching teenage YA rom, rom, rom-coms. rom Like, that's the part of it. <laughs> but you,
0: you brought like. up a really good point, which was that, you know, they cut to this. There was something very weird. I, maybe it was just me, but there was something very weird about the Marcella, like, love story told in two minutes. Yes. And then the very like we shot this on Gower Street like on the back <laughs> back lot like r- like fight between the sand snakes Ron and Jamie and the the king the prince's sort of security force it they just seemed real that. like yeah. why don't you guys put on these nice like drapes from anthropology and go have an a spear fight for like 5 seconds of all yeah, cuz all- I think part of, partly it's because it's a different color palette so much of the action takes place at yeah. night in these sort of rural like dark places and this was a very like let's have a fight by a fountain um but i there was something very discordant about the the aria in a catacomb of faces versus forever versus <laughs> yeah. like the the lovely sort of epcot center vibe of Dorn.
1: it's also a question of of um of pacing and waiting like and wait not you know in the sense that I, did you know that aria's job was to wash corpses Like, because we definitely got that vibe. Like, that was cool on the third corpse we got the message. (laughs) And I I didn't need to see how Westerosi manicures are applied. Like, I didn't... That's not... Generally, I like to see things. I like the floating melon markets, you know. I really like the details. That was one detail too many. Right. Especially when we had a... What seemed like it was meant to be a a sort of momentous battle. It it felt like an absolutely like an afterthought. But I do want to say before, just to your other point... I watched Game of Thrones first because, you know, I, I, I operate under the laws of time and gravity and as we, as we do on the East Coast. So it was on first. And so I was very, very negative on the show even before Mad Men started. Um, I thought this was definitely easily the weakest episode of the season, one of the weakest they've ever done. Everything felt off. The pacing felt meandering and strange. It, it all felt like as if it was in service it, it was the exact opposite of what I praised last week in that everything we saw felt as if it was in service to something greater that we hadn't seen yet. Yes. It it really felt like they were saying, trust us, we just have to get there, which is which happens sometimes. I mean, the, the analogy I used in my recap is like, it's amazing once you get to the top of the wall, but you have to take a wooden elevator to get there. Yeah. There's there's no way to yada yada that it's, part of
0: it. It's hard if you're going to make... I, I, here's the two things that I think that it was difficult to remember. One is that I, I just... Whether it's like my lack of paying attention or just a general, they can only tell you so much on this television show, but this is now most of the season has been Arya in this uh, training session of some sort, which has really just amounted to her doing like janitorial work while people ask her if she has no name or not. And I get that I get like the general sort of ethos that's going on here, but I'm still not exactly sure what like the end game is she trying to become a faceless assassin who shrugs off her name only to go back because it's like she's wants to become a person who people give names to who mits out justice you know but she seems to be driven by the idea of taking care of her own business and i think that's yes. probably the central tension of what they're trying to teach her here and that's why in yes. the end he's like you're not going to become no one but you will become someone else i'm
1: into that but that's just taking I mean, they're really taking their time getting there. Well, remember that she did save her sword. I mean, she wasn't give up. She did not give up her old self. But right. but you're, you're, what you're talking about is something that I was that has run through the show, which is basically it's so epic, and there are so many um, twists and turns and meandering digressions along this this larger journey that, and we're willing to take them because that's that's what makes the show unique. But you, they have to be the right ones. And if you think about Arya's path along these seasons she's constantly conscripted to one side story or another that of yes. course is educational and formative and is leading to something we we believe that we, we every fiber of our bones who we who have committed to the show believe that but if you think you know it's easy to remember last year when she was on this road trip with the hound and those actors had uh, had great chemistry and it was out in the world and the hound is an you know a miserable bastard but an enjoyable traveling companion <laughs> right um the se- it's easy to forget the season where she was basically bringing wine to tywin lannister yeah for an entire season but that, um, those
0: conversations were at least interesting
1: well because that charles dance was in them yes. so now so being stuck in this house of black and white that just two weeks ago three weeks ago i was like oh this is so dope and beautiful it feels crazy claustrophobic now because it is just a you know people don't use contractions there and well, that is you the also, hallmark you get of, that of fantasy b- that makes me crazy
0: because they're 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 still spreading the offense around a lot and they're, like, giving everybody looks. You get your ten minutes of uh, Ser Jorah and, and uh, T- T- Tyrion and you're like, oh, man, like, why don't you guys just do a bottle episode of these guys on a boat,
1: you know? Well, well this, this one as well because it's like, okay, so it was Tyrion and Varys and now it's Tyrion and Jorah and now they got kidnapped again and they're going to go in a different direction and, and I, I get that, but some of that stuff, it, it, here's the thing, sometimes they do it really well and sometimes they don't. And and this felt like they were cliffs noting cliffs notes. And, and we're being babies
0: um, because we, we sat here for a couple of weeks, like a year or two ago or whatever, and we're just all we did was whine about Walking Dead being stuck on that farm. So I'm yeah. really glad that there's a lot of movement. And if you don't like this week, you'll probably like next week. Um, I think that we should talk about the last scene because yeah, I was going to
1: get to that because everything else was sort of frustrating, but it didn't seem right. It certainly wasn't if it had ended
0: with with Sansa getting married. I think we're all probably like, well, that sucks for her. She got married. Um, so there's two things. One is, I, I I obviously that was a disgust, like just terrible scene to watch. Um, yes, and I've I've read and it and I I I completely understand and agree with the idea that in this universe rape is pretty much goes along with marriage it's often either comes before or after but it, it's very much a reality of of, of romantic relationships in this world well, just
1: male female relationships yeah exactly and that these
0: marriages are forced they're arranged the guys are not waiting for the go ahead it's just this is just the way things go and I understand that I actually with few exceptions I think that the problem with it is that like I still think of HBO as like When it comes to sex scenes on HBO, it always is like, I feel like I'm watching Dream On where it's like, this is my only (laughs) access to nudity in the world. And all the (laughs) scenes play like that so that when real world sexual politics get thrown into something, it throws me. It's really alarming. Do You know what I mean? And I think it's jarring because you're like, oh, yeah, here's the part of True Blood where there's an orgy or here's the part of, you know, of sex in the city where like Kim Cattrall is doing this. And a lot of the time, like, real-life sexual politics don't get thrown into that kind of mm-hmm. uh, you know exhibitionist streak that these shows sometimes have. So to see that happen and then just to see, like, what's the cruelest way that this could play out? I understand that in the reality of the show, that is the cruelest possible thing that could happen is usually what happens. But it doesn't make it any easier to watch.
1: Oh yes. And so I'm looking forward to talking about this a little bit on Wednesday because both Mallory and, and Jason, our maester, have very different takes on it. I think I don't know how Mallory felt. I know Jason was very anti how this played out, and but he's coming at it from a perspective of the he's taking the long view. And he read you know, in like the, the Benioff and Weiss and Brian Cogman quotes about why this happened and and, and the way they did it, he was basically like, No, nah, I'm not buying it. Like you have to be able to sell it a lot better if you're gonna give us that. Right. Um, and Mallory, you know, shared with us some information of how it plays out in the books that I really would like to unsubscribe to in yes, my brain, right? Not um, not even because
0: it's a spoiler, just because it spoils your interest in having sex ever again,
1: <laughs> or just being a member of, of of the humans. Yeah. Um. And I don't mean the AMC show. The, but so I, I, my feeling, I, I have two two things about about this. Um. One, you, you sort of alluded to this, which is. The lesson that Game of Thrones loves to teach us, which is that if something terrible can happen, it probably will, that is in and of itself no longer a remarkable or unique lesson. I am pretty much over it. You know, I think that the, the more radical thing would be to do at this point, and I've said this last season when it started to go down this path too, the, most, the more radical thing would be to give us the opposite. And I think that's why the first four episodes of the season, five episodes, felt really special and different was because even if it all ends badly, by injecting bronze humor By injecting that you know the scene where Stannis basically is like I love my daughter what do do you want from me just giving us a little bit of that really helps leaven things you know I I, and so as much as I we're talking about the Sansa scene I felt the same way about the Arya scene where she basically tells a lie so a little girl will stop suffering and die Mm -hmm. like that's I get what the world is you know at this point I get that but I got it a long time ago what what's next tell me something else tell me something I don't know and don't expect um, I think that, again, if, if you, you frame that scene, and, and Game of Thrones, guys, they really, really curate how they end episodes, right? It's when the dragons are revealed. Yes. It's always something major. To end on this means that it was kind of a big deal, and part of me felt, and this is a, 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 a cynical read on it, was that they were once again playing with their expectations the way they did when Ned got his head chopped off, which is the whole thing was framed for us to expect that Theon is finally going to come to his senses. Or that Sansa's or the, taking
0: no, control of her destiny somehow, that she's going to manipulate Ramsay or something.
1: Or, or that right before Ramsay rips her dress or right afterwards, Theon is going to stab him in the throat right. and be like, we have to get out of here. I'm Theon again for one last hurrah. Right. Um, that it didn't do it was, again, that same rough lesson. Um, the The other part that I had a real problem with and I'm not going to get into the the larger issues of whether uh, rape is ever a legitimate storytelling device because I think, you know, we talked about Mad Men and, and, and rape figured into Mad Men on more than one occasion and was generally done, I think, with with some narrative integrity, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and added to the show, in, even if in a horrible way. I, I really had some issues with the way Sansa is the one being brutalized, but the camera focused in on Theon and Theon crying. As if to equate their suffering in that moment. Now Theon's been through some stuff. Yeah. No one's going to pretend that, and I complained about that. I think that that is going to ultimately. I mean, you have to
0: imagine that that is ultimately what 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 you're what you're saying that Theon is finally going to kind of become Theon again. That's probably the key that they need us to see. It's not about Sansa being being assaulted. It's about Theon. I I, I, but, I didn't really the draw problem the that is that we see Yeah, 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 I see that. We,
1: we see it coming. And the same thing with, like, that, that courtroom scene um, where Jonathan Price is suddenly a completely different character, by the way. Um, yeah, okay, I see that Cersei's in over her head now. And it's like I, I don't always enjoy the feeling of watching a slow motion car crash. I would rather kind of be surprised. And some of the stuff that they're setting up right now... Not the big picture stuff. I do not have any idea what's going to happen in Marine or up at the wall. And I'm still pretty engaged in all that stuff. Or even what Littlefinger's long game is here. Um, I want to see Stannis crush the Boltons. I mean, there's stuff that's exciting. But some of these these smaller things that seem to be sort of rushed and, 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 and condensed... It, it's just feeling like work. Well, and, it's and, also and that I... us all the way back to this, the Sand Snake thing. Which was just this weird, ridiculous scene where these cartoony figures are supposed to be important... But then they just sort of have a little tussle, and now they're all disarmed. They, I also I think that there's the th- there's that really
0: based. been no arc for Ramsay, which is, I just, you know, obviously, like, you don't have to take it. Ev- not everything has to you be. You want to spend more time with him. Well, not everything needs to be East of Eden, but I, I understood yeah. why Joffrey was an abomination. We saw him from a very young age and how his child, his childhood manifestations of his evil became very adult and very dangerous manifestations of evil, you know.
1: Yeah, well Ramsey
0: yeah. is just a psychopath and we don't I mean aside from a pretty bad origin story which you know, there's enough of those to go around on Game of Thrones, he just seems like a sadistic bag. So we're just watching another the cruelty doesn't feel earned, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I I I would agree with that. It's it's feels it's hard. It's a hard thing to do, and often they do it. Where they like, and we talked about this last week. Like, I appreciated weirdly. I think I know a lot of other people complained about it, but all that like dinner with the Boltons, I enjoyed because you could tell that a big narrative plank depends on these characters that have never really held up their side of the story before. So you know, we had to be deeply invested in a in a castle that contains the Boltons, who are secondary or tertiary bad guys, and Sansa, who is an important character, but certainly not as compelling so far as Arya. Yeah. So they built it up in a way, which I appreciate it. But then when, you, when you lead to this, it's like, okay, well, there's still, there, there was more work to be done. You needed Richard, you know, taking a few more snorts and out there digging some story ditches. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I realize people who skip to the Game of Thrones stuff will have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) But I encourage you to watch Mad Men, if only to see Bruce Greenwood. Well, we could talk more about
0: uh, Game of Thrones on Wednesday with Mallory and Jason on Watch the Thrones. Uh, Did you want to talk a little bit about this Jay-Z thing? I mean, I I haven't got a chance to see any video from it, but Jay-Z played a concert for... his, his little engine that could title the... Uh,
1: his It's like it's basically Pied Piper from Silicon Valley. Yeah. You know what it, I mean? It's just a couple of kids in a house. In a garage.
0: Yeah. It's him and Wynn Butler um, just putting up the, the high-quality streaming audio. Lossless, baby. Uh, but Jay did a B-Sides concert, which if you get a chance, I think up Rocks put up the set list. Rem is writing about it. He went... Um, this is sort of like if Bob Dylan... Got up on stage in like 1975, 1980, and just did the Basement Tapes. It, he opened up with three songs from the S. Doc Carter collection, which was a mixtape that came around, out around the time of the Black Album. Black Album is a very important album to me in in my like music listening life. I think it's one of the, the five or six best rap albums ever made. Uh, this mixtape was kind of like his sketches for that. You know, they they were these disc, these these sort of tossed off battle raps and and just kind of thoughts that he had. Uh, over pretty popular at the time, beats. Um. There,
1: there, there was that. Ama- there was an amazing period when you were working at a record store, and you would just like basically you would a- appear at bars like Moses carrying the tablets, where you'd be like. <laughs> this is a kanye west mixtape like this is what jay-z is doing right now and it's promoting a sneaker but trust me yeah and uh and 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 they really felt handed down from the mountaintop and the thought that he's performing these things live this many years later and
0: doing like album tracks like so ghetto which is like a very popular with the jay with the dj Premier fans of jay-z's catalog uh so ghetto is one of Premier's like best beats uh it was really cool to see him do that you forget He's He's been a businessman for for a while now, um, but gosh, it's been almost like, what, eight years since Black Album, right? 07?
1: Uh, nine. God. No, longer. Black. No, wait, when did the Black Album come out? Uh, I thought it was like 0- 0- 0- 06, 07? No. No. 2003.
0: The Black Album came out in 2003? It came out 12 years that's ago. That's right, because I did Game Set Because of Kingdom Come, that's
1: right. Yes. Okay. Yes. That this one didn't inspire the blog to end all blogs. That was later when he came back. We we're in the four or five, oh, like man. Jordan.
0: Well, that just shows you how old I am.
1: Uh Yep. That 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 was a long roundabout way to establish that. But it but it was in general, it was it's pretty exciting, especially for a guy in, in rap, which is a a a genre that is so often dependent on what you're doing next, what you've done for me lately. Yep. That he could just be like, Look, I have the greatest catalog. Here he it is. I'm not I'm not running from it. And this and, is and always why is, he that,
0: was gonna have the longevity that nobody else did.
1: It's interesting because I'm praising it, but at the same time, it as I say those words, it sounds kind of like a rock and roll hall of fame ish, you know, kind of kind of dad rock way to look at it. Like, well, he just played the hits. Um but he did, and these weren't the hits. These were the really good tracks. And actually I can think of very few bands that did this. You know, it's 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 not like I mean, I, I don't even know an example. I, I guess you too on their new tour is starting with their first single from 1978, but then they very quickly yeah, play I mean, like Cedarwood Road, which no one like cares about, like
0: beggars or whatever. You know, I, I mean, there's only a handful of groups that could do this, a handful of artists that can really do this and make it worthwhile. Can-
1: Can we just drop a little bit of praise for an album that came out today, Monday or Tuesday, this week, that is basically a greatest hits album? I was going to say we should Uh, talk
0: about this next week after some of our listeners have gotten a chance to roll it up and smoke it. It is Brandon Flowers' The Desired Effect, I assume is what you're talking about. Yes. Uh, Please go listen to this. I am not a stan for the killers. This record is bananas. It's produced by Ariel Rickstad, who did the Heim record and a bunch of other stuff that we did feature on him a while. Vampire back. Weekend. Vampire Weekend. It features Bruce Hornsby. Uh yes. Danielle Heim, the one of the girls from Dirty Projectors, um, Joey Warinker, who is in boys. Neil Tennant from the Joey who's in uh like Beck's band, and Kenny Aronoff, who you may recognize yeah. as the awesome bald drummer in John Mellencamp's band. It is basically like a union between uh, Tunnel of Love, Springsteen, Kick era, In Excess, um, The Killers. Holiday Road
1: era, Lindsey Buckingham.
0: Lindsey Buckingham, um, Mike and the Mechanics. Like I'm not saying these things are all good, but if you put them all together on a Brandon Flowers yeah. record and give it this kind of level of production... It is it is really really great record.
1: This this record is all killer, there is no filler. There is not a bad song on it and it's the kind of record that you rarely get anymore where you get to track 6 and you're expecting it to Yeah, you're, you're like, oh, okay, nice job, dude. That's fine. And then it just keeps building. Yeah. And uh I'm sorry. Psych- I mean, I have a I had a podcast with Brandon, it's going to come up on on uh on Wednesday. Wednesday I think we're going to post it. Um and he's it was an interesting guy. Like I don't I I well, well, people will hear it, but like he is one of those dudes that definitely can do things musically and then struggles explaining himself, which is fine. You know, like he did the record. He doesn't need to like say anything more about it. But, uh, I I think that if I'm glad I talked to him right when I was just falling in love with the record, because if I talked to him now, it really would have been the Chris Farley interview. Yeah. (laughs) Because this is a great, great record. It's out. We're recording this Monday. It's, I think it's available digitally today. It's streaming on iTunes. It's definitely out tomorrow.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about about a little bit more next week, maybe about certain songs. But uh, listen to Andy's podcast with Brandon on Wednesday. We're also doing Watch the Thrones on Wednesday.
1: Yeah, and then I think on Friday we're going to do a a, a Mad Men post-finale podcast. And then next Friday we're going to do a Mad Men Isn't On Anymore celebration podcast. Is that right? And then I think we're doing
0: Further Adventures of Harry Crane every Thursday for the rest of time.
1: I think that sounds like a good plan. I'm pretty into it. (laughs) All right, man. Uh, I'll let you get back
0: to your work. Andy, it's great to talk to you again. Sorry we're never going to talk about Mad Men again, bro. Good pod,
1: Chris. Great job, Baranski. Later. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.